This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Utopia. All right, uh, John, you ready to do some for real or for gazes here? Always. It's been three weeks since we've done these, John. I missed it. All right, so let's do this. i got a few of these here. For those who don't know how this works, John and I do this uh, typically every first episode of the week. Every Monday, this is a Tuesday. We're recording this on a Tuesday just because of schedules and things like that. Um, I read a sentence as if it is the truth to John and, I, and get John's opinion on it. If he agrees that it is the truth, he says for real. If he thinks that the statement is silly and it's false, he says... Gazy. Gazy. That's Italian for fake or counterfeit or phony. All right, John, here we go. Texans uh, announced this week the themes for all of their home games this year. Uh, the homecoming game, appropriately so, will be October the 1st against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's the day that J.J. Watt will be um, will be enshrined in the ring of honor for the Texans. Uh, for real or Fugazi, there will be a huge throng of Steeler fans at that homecoming game on October the 1st. I believe that's for real. I think they were probably buying those tickets. Uh, Steeler fans travel great. There's a lot of Steelers fans in the Houston area. And I also think when J.J. Watt comes out, they'll give him a standing ovation. One of the coolest things I've ever seen in all my years, 48 years covering the NFL, was watched last game at Santa Clara against the 49ers. They took him off the field, and the 49ers fans stood and gave him a great ovation and started chanting his name, J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt. And he's down there with his wife, Kaylee, and his kid. Excuse me. And it was just just one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Coaches like D'Amico Ryans on the 49ers are clapping for him. And so I think Steeler fans will give him a huge ovation. I think they'd do it even if TJ Watt wasn't a Pittsburgh Steeler. It feels I like that too. You know, I think that's the kind of fan base. It feels like that's the kind of fan base the Steelers have, John, that kind of respect the history of things like that. Am I am I on base? You, know, you know better than I do. Am I, am I am I off base on that? Like Steeler fans feel like respectful. They feel like Nebraska fans in college football. They respect the game. They respect the game. They respect other fans. They and the older ones. Remember the great rivalry they've had through the years when they were the same division as the Oilers. Franco Harris told me one time in Canton, he said, people always thought our biggest rival was Oakland because we played them so many times. No, the biggest rival and the toughest games were against the Oilers during the Love You Blue era. Mm, yeah, a lot of history there for sure. Just as a one quick one quick number to, to back up the uh, Steeler game uh, hype, 
the 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 anticipation for that Steeler game on October the first at NRG Stadium, John, on SeatGeek, the lowest price ticket for the Steelers Texans game in Houston is a little over two hundred dollars, two hundred one dollars, I think, as of this morning. Uh, the next closest lowest price for a game at NRG Stadium this year, New Orleans, sixty two dollars. <laughs> That's the next closest one. The rest of them are all. Even Deshaun Watson coming back like on Christmas Eve, the lowest price ticket is 36 bucks. You can go to the Jacksonville game for 22 bucks if you want to. You can't sit lower than the last row of that Steeler game for less than $200. So I think it's, it says a lot about Steeler fans, for one, but it, I think it also says a lot about Texan fans wanting to be there to experience, you know, the, the Texan culmination of J.J. Watt. You know, the culmination will be in Canton in five years when you and your colleagues put him in to the pro football hall of fame, but it, that, that's a, it's a hot ticket, John, is what I'm saying. Oh, you're muted, John. I said, you think you're getting in the, he's getting in the hall of fame, huh? Yeah, I think he is. I I'm going to stand on the table for him, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he will be. If I'm still, if I'm still here and I'm on the committee, when the time comes, I don't have to make much of a speech because he's a no-brainer. He and yeah. Tom Brady will go in together. That'll be a fun class for sure. All right, next one, John, for real or Fugazi. Um, we saw this week the deadline for franchise tag players signing an extension came and went, and the main guys still left sitting out there with the franchise tag are running back, specifically Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. I know Tony Pollard's out there too, but um, – Barkley and Jacobs are the two that sound like could miss training camp because they want to get a better deal. We know that running back market, though, has gotten worse and worse for guys, especially in free agency with that franchise tag. For real or Fugazi, the NFL needs to do something to accommodate running backs in free agency. Fugazi, why does the NFL need to get involved in that? The players, you know, it's they, they, if you can, I see tight ends. Evan Ingram got a better deal than any of those backs. Is his career going to be with Jacksonville longer than them? I think what happened with Zeke Elliott, Zeke Elliott, I think, is just 27, and he's out there. He got cut. Cowboys are hoping he'll come back for almost the minimum. And uh, I don't know why this is, but it's like Matt Miller from ESPN said, it stirred up a ruckus among the backs. You draft a guy, you get him for five years, then you franchise him for two, you got him for seven, then you let him go and draft another one. And unfortunately for them, that's the way it is. And so many offenses are tailored around backs who are um, lesser picks, but you still get results, don't lead the league in rushing. There's more second-round picks who've done better than first. It's like Damian Pierce. He's When it comes contract time, he'll be glad he was not drafted in the first round. Yeah, well, I think – and it's funny too, John, with that, like <laughs> – Barkley was the second overall pick in his class. Jacobs was a first-round pick. It's almost like the guys who are drafted higher have a higher expectation of what the second contract should look like. Whereas, like, a guy drafted in the middle rounds, you know, let's take Damian Pierce as an example. Like, if Damian Pierce gets to a franchise tag, that's a huge success story. Like, that's – Absolutely. I'm not just saying for the Texans. I'm saying for Damian Pierce, that's a – you know, because by the time he gets at that stage – it's the franchise tag for running backs probably be 12 million, 13 million, whatever. It's like 11 million right now. So it'll be a couple million more possibly when he gets there. Um, I just think I, to me, 
the issue isn't just how fungible running backs are as an asset, like how replaceable they are. To me, it's the it's the fact that that position has a specific age where guys drop off, a specific odometer on running backs that that prevents the second contracts from being big. You know, like that's I, I think it's more that than it is like, well, we'll just get this guy and swap him out for a fourth round pick because this guy, yeah, sure, uh, uh, you know, Miles Sanders is good, but we'll just draft some guy and he'll be eighty percent of him. I, I just think it's. Teams are way too scared that, uh-oh, I mean, we're signing this guy and this could be the year that he falls off, uh, as opposed to other positions where, I mean, wide receiver has that, but the age is 31. It's not 27 like it is for running backs. You know what I mean? And then there's Derrick Henry, and one of the reasons at 29 he's still going strong is he didn't get a lot of carries yeah. his first three years in the league, and then he just exploded. And, uh, in fact, also – in fact, he's 6'3 and two, almost 250. It helps him withstand a lot of that punishment. And uh, at some point, maybe it'll go back. Maybe a running back will score three or four touchdowns in the Super Bowl when he's in the last year of his contract. I still think the Giants should have found a way to tie up Saquon Barkley. They'll have him two more years, and that's it. Then Because you draft him so high. And you seems like you draft him that high, you have high expectations. And he was a more important player than Daniel Jones. It's got to irk him like crazy to see Daniel Jones get all that money and he's stuck with 10.1 million. Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, like Daniel Jones plays a position, you know, like it's unfortunately Saquon Barkley is the accounts receivable clerk who's incredible at his job. <laughs> And Daniel Jones is the director of sales who is is just okay at his job, but they pay a lot more. They're a lot harder to find. You know what I mean? It's then, I mean, that's that's what it is. You know, it's it, 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 it's accounts receivable. That's it. no disrespect to any of you accounts receivable clerks that listen to this podcast. We appreciate you. I'm sure there'll be love. Tell the friends that you compared him to Saquon Barkley. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm gonna buy. If you're if you're an accounts receivable clerk who listens to this podcast, hou mailbag at gmail.com. You email me. I'm not going to buy you a Saquon Barkley jersey, but I'm going to put all of you in a drawing where I'll buy a Saquon Barkley jersey, and the winner gets it. How's that? <laughs> you have to prove you're an AR clerk, though. I need a business card or proof from your boss. A note. I need a note from your boss. That's what I need. Um, I just kind of hijacked the next one I had, John. You agreed with this. I, the next one I had for real or Fugazi. Best case scenario for Damian Pierce is a franchise tag in 2026. You said that's for real, right? Well, that, that, um, well, let me think about it. He'd be, no, Fugazi, because he'd be better getting a long term contract after three seasons because you got to figure if he got a four year extension, he'd only be 27. So I think he'd be, because if you get, Anything more in one year, he's going to make more than the franchise tag. No, I, I get, I understand a long term deal is better than a one year franchise tag deal. I guess I'm what I'm injecting into this, John, is a, a, um, a dose of reality. Like, do we think for a second that Nick Casario is giving a long term extension to a third year running back who has Damian Pierce's running style and presumably will have had a bunch of carries on the odometer? Do you, I mean, do you think that what do you think the chances are that that happens? Well, I think they're pretty good because they got Devin Singletary for a reason to take a lot of that wear and tear off of him. Yeah, maybe. And especially if he only does two more years, I mean, he'll only be, what, like 24? Uh, so I think there's a chance he'll get a second contract unless his agent prices him out of the market. If he does, then they'll franchise him, and he ought to be happy with that. 
I don't have the stomach for a contract dispute between the Texans and Damian Pierce, John. I like them both too much. I don't, I don't like seeing friends fight. I'm a, I'm a friend of the Texans and a fan of the Texans, and I, am a, I, and I love Damian Pierce. I can't say that I'm a friend of his other than I've interviewed him a couple times on the postgame show, but I would love to be his friend if he's listening to this podcast. Now, I don't think uh, Damian Pierce will handle his contract negotiations like cornerback Steven Nelson, and I can't wait to see when we get to camp if Casario's wearing that blue vest. If he doesn't, I think I'll ask him if it's at the cleaners. Dude, yeah, you sh- A, you should. B, if he's wearing a vest in this heat, he should be fired on the spot. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Nick's it too hot for that blue vest. He's he should be shirtless. I like if you think wear the vest or shirtless, go skins. Go shirtless. Um, all right, John. Also along those lines, this is a for real or fugazi. This is kind of one that I got off the text page today when Seth and I were talking about the whole dynamics of the running back position for real or Fugazi, there is not an active NFL running back right now that will wind up in the pro football hall of fame for real or Fugazi. Uh, Oh boy. Um, If I had to pick one, that would be a, I'll say for real, but if I had to pick one who's a possibility, it would be Derrick Henry. If he plays a couple more years and keeps compiling, the big numbers because people have seen the kind of punishment he takes playing on a team that everybody knows is going to run the ball and they stack the deck against him. Uh, you know, a guy like B. John Robinson, it's too early to tell, but because of the way the position's devalued, you know, you're probably right. Henry is the leading active ground gainer in the NFL, a little over 8,000 yards. Um, I, cause I've looked up, there's a handful, as you know, John, that are that are you know ten thousand, eleven thousand yards or more that are retired that still aren't in the Hall of Fame, but will be. You know, Adrian Peterson, I would imagine, will be a first or second ballot Hall. Absolutely. Of Fame. Uh, Frank Gore, I don't know where you stand on Frank Gore um, and what his candidate. He's the third all-time leading rusher, and yet he was an All-Pro, I think, once his entire career because he played so many years. Yeah. So Gore is out there. You know, like Fred Taylor is out there. Guys like that. Um, so I think Adrian Peterson might be the only one who's retired in, of that ilk that's going in. So we may be, it may be a while. Once Peterson's in, it might be a long time. I'm curious, John, did you, did you see or hear about the interview that Corey Dillon did about the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. And he's mad about the Cincinnati Bengals Hall of Fame and the Pro, and the Football, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Of Fame. Yeah. He's, he, he'd be fortunate. He deserves to be in the Bengals Hall of Fame. But they do something I've never seen. They let the fans vote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's well, his complaint. Yeah, I, you know what? It's probably a valid complaint. <laughs> um, has he? Has his name? I, I guess he's never been even a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Does his name ever come up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Not that I can remember. Okay, I mean, he's now, for, you mentioned Fred Taylor. He's dead because he's got over ten thousand yards rushing. He was a really good receiver. There's a big push for him a lot. Hmm. Roger Craig. He's back. He's a senior now, Pete Rinky Waters, but those guys didn't get in in their 20 years of modern eligibility. Now they're trying to, their proponents are trying to get them in as seniors, but it's hard. Yeah. Uh, All right. Two more, John. Um, The Astros, for real or Fugazi, the Astros will be in first place in the AL West by the time the trade deadline rolls around on August the 1st. Fugazi, I think the Rangers are red hot. They've got hitting. It's consistent. You know, they 
Aroles Chapman has been pitching great. He has. He has been tremendous. <laughs> in really good. Three. That was a great trade with Kansas City. Yeah. And uh, they're going to shore up their bullpen. They got a minor league system that allows them to trade some prospects. I think they're going to they're, – because they've been bad for a while, they've been able to stockpile talent, which the Astros have not. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is losing your first and second round picks no in back-to-back years because of the scandal. Yep. But I think the Rangers, when the trade deadline rolls around, still be in first place. It's too bad. They're gonna, when the Astros come home from this nine-game road trip, they're going to play the Rangers for the last time this season. At Minute Maid, and then they play one more time Labor Day weekend, I think, in, in Arlington. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Last time here uh, in Houston, for sure. Um, are you buying the Rangers as a suitor for Shohei Otani? Uh, no, okay. no, not at all. You had to pick one team to get Shohei Otani. Or not, not, you think So you think it's the Dodgers? Yeah, okay. That's who you would pick, and that's who you think it will be? You know, there's a lot of people think he's going to give. I, I read a thing on the Athletic talking about five to eight players for a rental. No, nobody's going to give up five to eight players for a month or two. Even Steve Cohen wouldn't do that. Uh, I think the Angels should trade him. And uh, one of the things I've been wondering is that all these endorsement deals that the Angels make off of him and he makes off of companies in Japan. Would they want a rebate if the Angels trade him because the, the angels are making all this money from these deals, or would has that already been written into the I bet it's contract? In. Yeah, it's got to be. They, those, those, that, there has to be some protection there, right? Those are smart people, and yeah. so I everybody thinks he's going to Dodgers anyway. The, the the key here is with Steve Cohen, the Mets owner. They've been a big disappointment, and money's no issue to him. Would say show. Show you Tony's going to get five hundred fifty million. When he come back and say, "Well, I'll give you another hundred million," would he go cross country and play in New York, or would he stay on the West Coast where he wanted to go begin with? Yeah, I, that's probably a conversation for after the season with the Mets. They're just not in position to do anything this year. So no, I, it'd no. be a waste for the Mets to trade five prospects for Shohei Otani. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And give him six hundred million when they can just do that after they're not winning the World Series with Shohei Otani this year. But I, the Mets, the Mets are number two on the odds board that I saw behind the Dodgers. I'll tell you one, John, that I was reading an article this week in the Athletic from Jim Bowden, who's a former GM, and he was listing the the landing spots for Shohei Otani. And the number one spot he had, he's the only one I've seen have this. They're not that high up the odds board, but I think he made a great case for it, and it's Tampa Bay. Obviously, they're not going to sign Shohei Otani long-term, but they've got the most flush minor league system with prospects, and they're already a really good baseball team. Like, they, they, like they might win it without Shohei Otani, but Shohei Otani, if, you know, if they've got the minor league players to do it, he's only owed, like, as of the trade deadline, he'll only be owed, like, another $13 million this season. They've got the money to do it, reportedly, according to the owners. I think that's an interesting one to to watch is is Tampa Bay, especially because they that could that could 
seal up the number one overall seed in the American League for them, which is which would be really big. Everybody comes through Tampa at that point, and they get a buy in the first round and all that. That's a, that was an interesting one to me. I'll just say that they should be motivated because they're on their way to their second worst record in July in team history. Yeah, they've been on a terrible plunge, and um, and and another one he wouldn't resign there. He wouldn't resign the one I'm going to say. But there's nobody loaded with more great prospects than Baltimore. Yes, I and agree. The Orioles are 22 games over 500. Isn't it amazing? Yankees last place, first time since 1990. And uh, Baltimore is loaded. And uh, I read that Jim Bowden piece, and he's the one that was saying five to eight players. There's no way that's going to happen. And, and Otani's representatives have already told teams there's no way he's going to sign a new contract with a new team no. now. He wants to test the market. I said, John, today on Payne and Pendergast that the best approach for the Angels – would be because I don't think he's re-signing. I don't definitely don't think he's re-signing if they just hang on to him and let the season fitter away. Like there's no way him sitting there on a non-playoff Angels team is going to be like, yeah, let's re-sign here. I think the Angels have a better chance of keeping Otani long term if they trade him to the team that he Absolutely. wants to go to. Absolutely. Bring in a bring in a, a a bunch of prospects and then try to resell to him. Hey man, we took care of you when we said we would. We're better. Look how much better this team is. You get to stay in L.A. You know, you, you, you know your way around the building already here and all that stuff. Um, you know who your teammates are. There's no burn-in period where you're having to get to know. You know, it's your – I I compared it to Indecent Proposal, John. Did you, you remember that movie with uh, of course, Demi Moore? Of course. In, in my analogy, Shohei Otani was Demi Moore. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Angels are Woody Harrelson, the bankrupt <laughs> architect, who are just is looking to get assets. He just needs currency at that point. And so he he is approached in a Vegas casino by, let's call Robert Redford, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Los Angeles Dodgers say, you know what? <laughs> I think five to eight prospects could buy love. And Woody Harrelson says, I don't know. And he says, oh, I think it could. Okay, fine. And he sends Shohei over to Robert Redford slash the Los Angeles Dodgers and then just sits and prays and hopes that, unlike Demi Moore, Shohei doesn't fall in love with the Dodgers, although she eventually came back to Woody Harrelson in the end of the movie. Yeah, that right. the most- and their marriage was never the same. No, I wanted a sequel. Seth said it today. He's like, we needed a sequel where we got to see the therapy, the years of therapy after that. <laughs> All right, last one, John. Speaking of Hollywood, for real or Fugazi, noted award-winning actor John McClane is feeling the pinch of the actor strike right now. I certainly am. That's a, that's a for real. I'm on strike. Of course, I've been on strike since 2008. But I support my fellow actors and writers, and I feel comfortable not accepting any offers from new movies. <laughs> I'm sure that the likes of Harrison Ford and Fran Drescher and all the other actors I've seen opining on this strike are glad that they have your support, John. Oh, do you... I should go walk the picket lines. You should. You should fly to LA. (laughs) That would be incredible. (laughs) That would actually be a hell of a. I've got my SAG guard. I know you do. I know you do. Yeah. No, that's. uh, I I think it's funny, John. Like I I get like the fight is really for the ninety nine point nine percent of actors who are you know have multiple jobs and you know like 
I just think it's funny that they make the face that they try to invoke sympathy for the actors by making like these huge multi-gajillionaire actors the face of it. Like when, like I literally saw Fran Drescher doing it. Fran Drescher probably makes 20 million a year on residuals from the nanny from 15 years ago. And she's like the face of the, she's like the face of this strike. Like I, like they don't, like there's no other, there's no other, I guess other than professional sports where the face of it is, you know, Tom Glavin was the face of the work stoppage in 1995 or whatever. So that's what I compare it to. Like, people are going to be like, all right, so are we supposed to shed tears for, you know, for Tom Cruise that he's getting mistreated on Mission Impossible 12 or whatever he's on right now? It's just funny to me. I heard he got 80 million for that movie. 80 million. Yeah, see, that's the problem. Needs to spread some of that wealth. 80 million. Have you seen it yet, John? I did. What'd you think? I liked it. I didn't think it was the greatest, but he's 61 years old. He's doing things that, of course, that are preposterous, but I want to see more of Ving Rhames and Simon mm. Pegg. But uh, it was uh, it was interesting. It always is, but it's just nonstop. And uh, I can't wait to see Oppenheimer, and I can't wait to see the Justified, the new Justified sequel on FX. But Oppenheimer has gotten universal praise. A lot yeah. of young people may not care about it because it had to. Do with the atomic bomb in World War II, but mm-hmm. I guarantee older people are going to want to see it. Yeah, the movies seem to be getting back to where they're better than they like. Post COVID, the movie scene was Ooh. atrocious. It was it was really bad. Have you? I saw the Elvis movie after we went to Graceland on our trip. Um, we watched the Elvis movie the next night. Have you seen the Elvis movie? Oh, I saw that one first day it came out. I loved it. Yeah, it was really good. I had no idea. I I didn't know the Colonel was that big a scumbag. It was really more a movie about the Colonel than it was about Elvis. What'd you think? Tom Cruise took a lot of heat for doing that part. They didn't like his accent, even though it was real. The way Parker talked, they just didn't like his character at all. And uh, I thought Austin Butler did an incredible job. I uh, I actually went and, s- and sought out an old interview with the Colonel, John, uh, on Ted Koppel from back in 1987. They were doing like a 10-year Elvis, uh, like, so, like some sort of like big Elvis, something the Colonel would have done, you know, like he was a carny basically. So he yeah. had all this Elvis memorabilia and it was the 10-year anniversary of Elvis's death. So he had people coming out, paying X amount to take their picture with different Elvis stuff. So he did an interview with Ted Koppel, and I'm like, damn, Tom Hanks freaking nailed that. <laughs> he he was on target with that accent the other day. People hate it. There's plenty of movies that we've seen Tom Hanks in where people hate it. Not that, that, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I this is by far the most despised character I think I've ever seen Tom Hanks play. He's usually, he's usually the baby face in all these things, to use a, a wrestling term. 